Hello and welcome to Differential Discussions. I'm Melissa. And I'm Dave. And we're back with another theory podcast. Woo! Yeah, so uh, we started talking about coag and um, talked about vasculature. We talked about platelets. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're still talking about platelets, I guess. Yeah, we didn't finish <laughs> normal platelets yet. Uh, yeah, they're really complicated. Um, they are. I think we're going to really start hitting the complicated soon. I know. And this is a tough, this is a tough area, right? Because the theory gets really <laughs> dense and, um, um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the finer, the detail you go into too, the, the more, um, difficult to kind of keep things kind of like straight and, um, but mm-hmm. Yeah. So we had talked about the granulations of our platelets. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so where are we heading uh, next? Well, I think next we're going to hit my fave. <laughs> so Melissa has a unhealthy obsession with Von Willebrand's factor. So, um, <laughs> so we're going to talk about Von Willey's um, really important molecule, right? Um, physiologically, if you don't have it, um uh we have a lot of like bleeding tendencies and stuff right so um so how do how, where how do we start talking about von willebrand's what's the well, best thing? i guess let's start with basics right yeah um it's where it, where it's stored where it's made where it's stored yep yep so it's synthesized in our endothelial cells and our megakaryocytes and then right. it's stored in either the weevil-pallade bodies of the endothelial cells or the alpha granules of the platelets. Isn't weevil-pallade bodies, like, fun to say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> fun fact, it seems like they're made specifically for the packaging of von Willebrand's factor. And when you can't package and make it appropriately, the weevil-pallade bodies are not quite as nice and as they should be. That's interesting. So it's yeah. almost like it's a, a core component. Like it's it's the storage and it's a piece of that storage, huh? That's what that would imply. That's yeah, fun. there can be other things in there too, but they're really made because of Von Willey. Von Willey. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And so just so everybody knows, when we talk about Von Willebrand's factor, we usually call it Von Willey. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I I do those things without noticing. Um, mm-hmm. You'll see it. Some I'll be teaching. And then they'll be like, well, yeah. I have some kind of med lab slang or. I'm, I'm rubbing off on you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're getting <laughs> my slang. In a lot of ways. <laughs> so it's it's fascinating, right? So this is a really important uh, molecule for platelet function. So it's interesting that there's this evolutionary, uh, you know, where the platelet has von Willey, it kind of carries some von Willey along with it, right? That kind of. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So we measure von Willey. We'll talk about levels in a few minutes. But really, when you're talking about circulating von Willey, that comes from the Weibo-Palade bodies. And when we're talking about von Willebrand's factor, you know, acting at the site of injury, that's really coming from the platelet alpha granules. Mm -hmm. So I think the other thing that's interesting about von Willebrand's factor and this will play more of a role when you get into like the weeds of figuring out which von Willebrand's disease it is. But von Willey, it's a really, really, really big molecule. And I could go into like packaging and the Golgi because it's really cool, but I I'll, I will digress and won't go into that. But when you think about how large of a molecule it is, it actually has a propeptide that's not, it's, it's cleaved from it. So it's no longer attached to it, but it's stored with it. And so they're still together in the storage units. So the weevil-pallade bodies and the alpha granules. And when they're released, the pro the, the pro von Willebrand's factor, the propeptide is also released. But we don't really understand its function or if it has function or what it is other than it has a role during the creation and packaging of von Willebrand's. But you will find von Willebrand's propeptide in circulation because it's released at the same time. So you may hear von Willebrand's propeptide, and that's basically what it is. It's the propeptide piece that's cleaved off of the von Willebrand's factor, but is still necessary 
for it to be folded and packaged in the Golgi and then packaged into the storage units before it's released. Just propeptide. So that would be found in both um, von Willy from endothelium and from the alpha granule. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so, so we know um, where it comes from, where it's stored. Uh, so can we start talking about function you think? So, um, yeah, so I, when, in my mind, the first thing I think of with Von Willebrand's factor is uh, facilitating that uh, collagen uh, platelet uh, adhesion, right? Mm -hmm. And um, more specifically in those high kind of stress areas, right? Um, Wherever so, there's high shear flow. Yes, high shear. This is more, that's the much more appropriate term, right? So blood flow is moving really, really fast. Yeah. I don't think people really appreciate um how fast it's moving so if you imagine you know you're on the highway going 100 miles an hour and you try to reach out and grab uh like a sign or something right you're going to have a difficulty and von willebrand factor kind of facilitates that um uh that better for platelets right yep <clears throat> um and then what else does it do it carries factor eight so this is an underappreciated function of von Willebrand's factor. And uh, so what happens when we don't have that, right? Maybe I'm maybe I'm digressing a little bit, but I think it's important, right? It is. If we had a deficiency in von Willebrand factor, that doesn't necessarily translate to a deficiency in factor A, but it does. <laughs> so von Willebrand factor actually acts as like a stabilizing uh, kind of um, carrier, right? So um, in the absence of von Willebrand factor, factor eight will degrade rapidly. Um, so yes, a little, that'll be helpful too, right? For Von Willebrand's diseases and the different yeah. types of, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Functionally, if they're together, they won't dissociate until it's time to activate factor eight and factor eight to do its thing, because that's when you want factor eight to be available on its own. But normally it has to be, Von, factor eight has to be carried by Von Willy. Otherwise it'll be destroyed. And then it looks like you lack factor eight, but it's really you, you lack Von Willy. Fascinating. It was, when you start digging into Von Willebrand's disease and uh, um, that particular phenotype, but yeah, anyway, I'm going in the weeds, but those are the, those are the fun things to kind of learn about. So like functionally, does that kind of cover the normal physiology of our Von Willebrand factor? The important things, it can also aid in aggregation because it shares the RGD domain that fibrinogen does, but really the major functionalities are carrying factor eight and mediating uh, sub-endothelial platelet collagen binding with platelets. So that's important too, right? So a student too uh, might not appreciate the difference between adhering to collagen and aggregation because those are very different, right? We'll get there. We'll, yeah. We're going to review that later <laughs> on in here. We will talk about the difference. We'll put a pin in that yeah. one. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, so now we can kind of talk about the molecules structurally a little bit. Sure. I think. Okay. So um, a lot of different domains. Um, we talked about it being such a big molecule. Um, so uh, is it fair to call these like uh, receptors or how would you describe the... Yeah, yeah I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, basically, von Willi is a huge molecule, humongous. And when it's secreted from its storage units, Usually, ADMTS13, which is its regulatory enzyme that breaks it down, is sitting there waiting, attached to a cellular adhesion molecule. This way, it can kind of cleave von Willebrand's factor from its ultra-large form, which is what we usually call it when it's secreted ultra-large von Willi, into its high molecular weight, intermediate molecular weight, and low molecular weight forms. Why? Because von Willi is so big that if you secrete ultra large, it causes problems. So you really want von Willi to be in these different molecular weights. The nice thing is we can measure the molecular weights and see how many, how much of each is present. And then, of course, your larger pieces of von Willi have greater functionality than your small pieces, although the small pieces still do have some functionality. Mm -hmm. It's almost like uh, it's bigger, so there's more receptors, right? So there's more opportunities for yeah. the physiological function. Yeah. yeah, and I think the larger pieces, if you think about the role, and I think we're going to talk about this more with, with COAG when we talk about thrombin, but if you have to have a certain size molecule for certain functions. Mm -hmm. So certain functions are better performed by larger molecules compared to smaller. That's a very interesting way to, to think about that. 
<laughs> so Von Willey can, right? We, we just discussed how it has to bind factor eight. So it yeah. has to have a factor eight binding site. Makes sense, right? <laughs> we, we discussed how it mediates subendothelial collagen binding with platelets. So it has to have platelet receptors then and collagen receptors. Yep. yep. It has to be able to bind to collagen and it has to be able to bind to platelets. So for mediating that adherence, you have to have a receptor on the platelet surface that can bind to von Willey. Mm-hmm. And so the von Willey will have a receptor that can bind onto platelet receptor 1B95, glycoprotein right. 1B95. Right. The other thing that I mentioned that it can do is aggregation. So it has to have another receptor for another platelet receptor so that it can bind onto glycoprotein 2B3A to aid in aggregation. And that makes sense, right? Because 2B3A is our platelet to platelet, um, sort of platelet to platelet, right? There's a fibrinogen sandwich going on there, but that's how our platelets are interacting with one another. So for it to do the aggregation component, it needs that that kind of interaction. So we got what the 1B95 receptor, right? We have a 2B3A receptor. Then we have a collagen receptor and factor eight i can't forget about factor eight right yep. so those are the 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 major um yeah. functional kind of pieces to it right and there's probably a lot more that we don't quite there's there's more but then you're getting into the weeds yeah mm-hmm. right and yeah. we're not going that quite that far into the weeds now we're going to keep it at a dave level i can't i'm going to drag you down to a melissa level on <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Listen, my husband would be proud. I didn't talk about the Golgi apparatus. <laughs> he gets Get me so started on when I'm like, let's talk about the Golgi. He's like, no. <laughs> yeah, like Golgi, like the only thing I think of is like morphological features and staining. And, you know, what is it? They package proteins or something there. I don't they know. They do. Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact. All right. I'm going to talk about the Oh, no, I did it. You brought me to it, Dave. So, yes, they package proteins and like they'll help kind of manipulate the protein so that it gets into its proper structure. The beginning, Mm. it gets more acidic as you go. So less work is done as you go. More work is done in the beginning of the Golgi apparatus than the end because the end, it's too acidic and you're just getting ready to package it and get rid of it. Mm. Not Von Willey. Hmm. A lot of the work is actually done in the acidic end of the Golgi apparatus because of the propeptide. Okay. It so helps this is, the this is where, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is where, where, is it fair to say that we're at the edge of the research there and we're still. Oh yeah. yeah. This is yeah, yeah. definitely more research based, but how cool, right? Yes. I was like, Oh my God, I got so excited about it. Cause like in science, when you, when you like expect the thing, right. So like a lot of times we'll see how something biologically like functions in this you know area. And then when we see something, we expect a, and we get B that's exciting. Right. Cause that's a new question to ask a new Avenue to learn something. So I don't know that that's quite super new. So at least a couple of years since I've seen what? It's new to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but see, this is the stuff I, I I did a project and I had discovered this and I was really excited about it. And I was telling my husband and he was like, I don't care about the Golgi apparatus. <laughs> so, but the Golgi is really cool. And all of the little different cisterna in there and all the different, I digress about the Golgi. So, so it, would there be a thing that your husband would be excited about? Um, of course, blood bank. <laughs> Melissa's husband, if you haven't picked it up by now, is like an avid blood banker, very passionate blood sure. banker. Um, yeah, and I think it's fair to say he's like deep in the theory and uh, well, and all in and the technical. And yeah, he's it's kind of like too. we're super dorky with him, and he's yeah. super dorky with blood bank, which sometimes it'll overlap. But does it overlap in this situation? Can overlap in this. Situation. <laughs> so bringing in blood bank. Yeah, yeah. Um, the von Willebrand's factor molecule carries specifically the ABO proteins on its actual molecule, so it's it lands on the same 
different carbohydrate based proteins that you're going to find on your red cells, it'll land on those same proteins or similar proteins on von Willebrand's factor. Now, if you think about it, right, let's, I guess let's drag in blood bank for a second. So you have group O, which is basically you have the H protein or the H antigen sitting on the surface. Yeah. And then if you have a, you have the A antigen in addition to the H antigen. If you have B, then you've got the B antigen in addition to the H. And if you've got AB, then you've got both A and B in addition to the H. <clears throat> well, depending on where it's sitting on the von Willebrand's factor receptor, it can actually block the cleavage sites to break down von Willi, which results in a longer half-life of the molecule specifically for those blood groups. Not group O because it's only H that's blocking the site, but the other blood groups you're, you'll notice have longer or longer half-life. So a larger reference interval. For so I just totally learned something there. So I, so I remember back at my time in the clinical setting, um, learning that ABO groups correlated to different reference ranges for von Willebrand factor, but I didn't have like a causality link to that. Right. So um, I, I didn't consider that you start with ultra large, it gets cut up, right? That that, how it's cut up is going to influence the antigen assay, right? So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I didn't think yeah. about it like and, that. And also just kind of breaking it down to get rid of it. It mm -hmm. kind of blocks those sites too, the way that the blood, um, the ABO antigens kind of, I guess, land on that, yeah. which can give you longer or larger reference intervals for group A, B, and AB compared to O. That's fascinating. That's really cool. Yeah. So that I didn't know why. That's a good why. Yeah. You don't need to, I don't think people actually need to know the why. They just need to know that it's related, but there you go. Now you know the why. Yeah. I, I always like knowing the why. Knowing the whys make a uh, um, memorization component like easier. Sometimes. You know? Yeah. That yeah. helps certain, certain students. It'll help them. Yeah. But so really mm -hmm. Von Willy is the level is dependent upon the patient's blood group. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at the, the most recent guidance that just came out, ISTH and a bunch of different other organizations together just put new guidelines out for diagnosing and taking care of Von Willey patients. And one of the things is they're starting to consider is 50% a cutoff? is 30%, 30 percent is definitely a cutoff, but what is 50%? Like that could be a maybe, but some group O patients have, you know, high 40s for their normal percentage of von Willebrands. So there's still, it's kind of this, it's hard. And mm -hmm. we'll talk about why it's so hard to talk about the reference interval cutoffs when we actually get to von Willebrand's disease. Mm -hmm. But um, most places will go by blood group as your reference interval and some places are starting to move away from that based off of the most recent guidance. But it, it's still important for people to know that blood group does influence the reference interval for von Willey. And is there, uh, the, so is, because of the variability there and um, it, it's only, you kind of need the clinical picture too, right? Like it, especially with these borderline cases. Well, so now we're, we're digging into the weeds of the disease, Dave. So sure. I so keep what, going in the weeds. When you talk about the disease in order to really get von Willebrand or to diagnose von Willebrand's disease, you should either have patient history or family history okay. of bleeding. You yep. don't want to have none, no, no history in anybody and then order a von Willebrand screen because what do you do if it's abnormal? Yeah. So you're going to diagnose them with Von Willey if they've never had a, a bleed or easy bruising or anything. This is the, this is where the shotgun approach to like test ordering can really backfire. It can put you in a, in a, a bad spot. Yeah. Well, and it's estimated yeah. that 1% of the world's population has borderline low levels normally. Mm -hmm. Yep. So yep. are they disease or are they just normal? Right. 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 If they're not, if they don't have any mucocutaneous bleeding. Yeah. A, a lot of normal patient uh, like reference ranges and stuff like that is pretty clear cut. And then other areas, it's just not, there's a lot of uh, nuance there. Um, but we'll get more into that when we talk about von Willey disease. Okay. Fair enough. I live with that. Um, so yeah, von Willey factor. Do we, do we cover everything you think 
for the our entry level yeah. good 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 because i mean we we are talking about this from kind of from like an entry level competency mls kind of perspective is that fair yeah yeah we'll touch the weeds sometimes but <laughs> don't go too far i keep dragging us into <laughs> all right um so in talking about von Willebrand factor, we talked a little bit about the platelet receptors yeah. that um, that might interact with von Willebrand factor. Is this a good segue to maybe start talking about um, platelets and their receptors? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because we've talked about almost everything with normal resting platelets except their receptors. So um, I'm gonna. I'm going to be the dummy in this conversation as everyone's probably noticed thus far. So I kind of think about platelet receptors. There's like the more functional, like sticky guys. And then there's the um, activate, make them mad kind of receptors. Is that like a oversimplification? I don't know that any of them just make them sticky. That's usually an adhesion molecule. Right, 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 right. Uh, so like when I think of like 2B3A and its functionality, right? Um, those kinds of things. That's what I, I I mean to say. No, I wouldn't classify 2B3A as a sticker. Okay. All right. So should we, let's dig in here then. Mm -hmm. um, where do we begin, right? So um, we talked about von Willebrand factor uh, needing to be able to bind to collagen and platelets. Um, is that to say platelets are incapable of binding to collagen without von Willebrand factor? No, they can bind directly. Okay. Just like we were saying before, in high shear flow rates, because they're moving so quickly, you need something to connect them. And okay. von Willi is that something. Okay. So, so then let's say I get into a capillary space where blood flow is slower or maybe in its, uh, um, you know, yeah. There's uh, uh, less um, of these shear forces that we talked about. So what do platelets use to stick to collagen? Yeah, so there's the the big collagen receptor is glycoprotein 6. Okay. That is like the key collagen receptor that's going to trigger activation. It's from the immunoglobulin gene family because it shares some of the same structural like domains in its gene as other immunoglobulin genes but really the when you think about glycoprotein 6 one of the the most important things is it is responsible for upregulating our inside out activation what inside out activation you'll probably read that in your textbook or something and it's really confusing if you think what is inside out because if there's inside out there's outside in yes right, and so. we we always think about outside in right mm -hmm. and and so let's okay. talk yeah let's yep. talk about outside in first so yep. outside in activation is basically you're binding to a receptor and you're sending a signal into the cell so from the outside you're sending in a signal and causing activation mm-hmm Make straightforward, right? That's outside yeah. in. Yep, yep. Inside out is then you have things that are happening that actually send a signal out to a receptor and tell it to do something. Which then pr prompts an out in. Mm -hmm. In, out, out, in. Yep. Okay. We've definitely so, gone down the rabbit hole now, right? <laughs> inside out signaling. So let's talk. So let's talk about glycoprotein six, right? Yep. So glycoprotein six is going to activate your platelet. So from something you're 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 a platelet, and mm -hmm. you have your glycoprotein six receptor, <laughs> and you bind to collagen with glycoprotein six. Mm -hmm. That sends a signal into the platelet to start activation. Mm -hmm. Right, And so one of the things that happens then is a signal is then sent out from that activation process to glycoprotein 1A, 2A. And now you're activating 1A, 2A. You're actually making it in its more active conformation so that now 1A, 2A, glycoprotein 1A, 2A can also bind to collagen. That's interesting. So that's one of the major things. And then, of course, it'll do the same thing with 2B3A. 2B3A is like the big inside out 
activating receptor, but 1A2A is also. So you need to have glycoprotein 6 activate, activated, right? That's the major one so that you can activate 1A2A. And really all that does having two collagen receptors is give you a really good bind onto the endothelium. That's all it's going to do. Yeah. And, and that kind of makes sense like intuitively to me, right? Like uh, from rock climbing, I'd like to have right <laughs> as many hands as possible yeah <laughs> i need more hands <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that's fascinating mm -hmm. um so um so that's great so now that's collagen right that basically covers collagen are we comfortable with, comfortable there good good um and then we had started to talk about some other receptors so um uh i love saying 1b95 <laughs> and uh i hated learning about it because it's really really complicated how that all kind of comes together but we had mentioned it when talking about von willebrand factor right so von willebrand factor has a site that binds to a platelets 1b95 right yep. um so are platelets just swimming around with 1b95 like just ready to go or yep. <laughs> Yeah, so 1B95 is in its active conformation. Mm -hmm. So 1B95 is confusing, like Dave said, because we call it 1B95. You could see 1B59, it doesn't really matter. 1B95 is the best way to put it. This way you can memorize the ratio of the molecules. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, that's a good way to put it. Yep, yep. Yeah, so one, and some people even just drop the five. They call it 1B9 because five uh, is not important because it lack of five doesn't cause disease. Right. And which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Lack of everything else causes disease, yeah. but lack of five doesn't. So some people drop the five, but we'll, we'll include it. So one B nine, five, one B alpha, one B beta nine and five. So one B alpha and beta are actually two distinct proteins. Mm -hmm. So you have one B alpha, one B beta, you have two of each. So two one B alphas, two 1B betas, two nines, and one five. And they're all non-covalently bound together. Mm -hmm. Okay. So two, 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 one. Okay. And I see, I take your point, right? So if you did the 1B59. Uh, you just have to remember two, two, one, two. But yeah, and, and that's not as intuitive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm glad I kind of burned it into my head as 1B95. It actually kind of, for me too, just kind of rolls... Um, uh off the tongue a little bit that's because we're used to saying that though i guess so yeah it's just unprogrammed already that makes yeah. sense um so yeah so we have uh platelet receptor 1b95 binding to our von willebrand factor which is then bound to our collagen and mm -hmm. then um cool so how do we get um uh is there so so is uh, this is where i get a little bit foggy i guess um, is this already ready to go or is there some kind of thing that happens to prompt Ready it? to go. Ready to go? It's sitting cool. there ready. So you have, like I said, one beat, excuse me, alpha. And that specifically is responsible for helping tether Von Willey and the platelet together. Okay. And then you have one B beta. And that is really the portion that's responsible for sending a signal into the, the platelet for activation. So the one B beta portion. And then you have nine and five, and they're really responsible for assembly of the 1B molecules. Nine being, of course, more important because we know lack of nine causes disease. Disease, yeah. Mm -hmm. So each piece plays a role in the process of activating the platelet. So yes, so that's a good point is that platelets circulate with this receptor. Hey, here I am. Right? It's like, here I am, baby. Right? <laughs> One of those. Sorry, everybody just had to listen to me sing. But the way that that's regulated is actually by Von Willebrand's factor. So Von Willy circulates kind of all balled up as a giant circular. It looks like a three-year-old drew it, right? With all those like scribbles. That's what all molecular structures look like, right? They just look like a three-year-old drew it. And what Von Willey does is it actually hides its receptors for the platelet receptor 
1B95. This way, once it binds onto collagen, von Willebrand's factor, it rolls out the carpet. Mm-hmm. And we call it rolling out the carpet because it is stretching out to expose those receptors. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so that helps uh, mitigate any spontaneous kind of, uh, yeah, yeah. Because we don't want that happening when it's not supposed to, right? Correct. Um, we actually have a disorder, right? TTP comes mm-hmm. to mind, right? Ultra large, you get microthrombi, right? And uh, not good. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Okay. And then um, these are actually really good segues, right? So now <laughs> Von Willey's being a good lead in. So then Von Willey also had um, a receptor for platelet receptor 2B3A, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, arguably, you know, everything is important on these platelets. We're going to see that all of these pieces are, are like important, but I kind of put this one at the top of the list. Yes. Uh, is that fair? Is that how you see it? Yeah. So I think six mm-hmm. 1b95 and 2b3a are by far some of the most important receptors that the platelet has it's good that we're focusing on them yes we'll we'll hit on the other ones too but these are really the the more important ones and actually so i guess let's back up a hair right so mm-hmm. with collagen the six glycoprotein six <clears throat> if you want to test for functionality right platelet aggregation, you can use collagen as the agonist to test for that receptor. Yep. And then 1B95, excuse me, we would use ristocetin as the agonist for that receptor. Mm-hmm. And then now we're going to talk about 2B3A. And <clears throat> I mean, I guess you could really use anything because you're looking for aggregation. And if you can't aggregate, then none of your agonists will really work. Except for right. That's a long story. Right. <laughs> Glansman's cough, cough. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, get we'll get there. Not yet. But let's, yeah, let's focus on 2B3A. And then so, so, so 2B3A. So I'm, I'm going to be a little bit like, like I, I just told the audience, I'm a little bit foggy on the details, but it's 2BA, 2B3A circulating, ready to go on our platelets. Okay, cool. So, so, so remember we talked about this with the glycoprotein six, how yep. it's the um, major glycoprotein that's going to activate the platelet and then be responsible for inside out activation. Yep. So inside out activation of 1A2A and 2B3A. So 2B3A is found, of course, on the cell, the platelet's membrane, but it's also found in the surface connected canicular system and on the alpha granule membranes. So it's everywhere. That's interesting. In yeah. the platelet. <laughs> and so it's really important, right? I mean, yes. that's, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's one of our heterodimers, right? It's, it's part of the integrin family. So it's a heterodimer, which means it's made up of two dissimilar proteins. So the 2B and the 3A, different proteins that make up this molecule. Like 1A, 2A is also an integrin, similar. So a heterodimer. Mm-hmm. And it's going to basically be activated. So it's mm-hmm. it's found and it's inactive or less active conformation. Once you activate it, you send that signal to the receptor. The receptor becomes active. Mm-hmm. And then you can go through the process of aggregation because right. that's our aggregation receptor. Right. Um, and then I, I had talked about fibrinogen plays a key role here, right? So without fibrinogen, there is no 2B3A interaction or less? So way less. So fibrinogen is the major aggreg- aggregatory mm-hmm. aggregation protein. Okay. Uh, and so it binds onto the different 2B3A receptors and allows the platelets to really bind together without fibrinogen von willebrand's factor fibronectin vitronectin can do it because they share the rgd domain Mm -hmm. when we say the rgd domain we're actually just talking about the amino acids it's arginine glycine and aspartate that's our rgd domain it's a particular sequence that you can find in the molecule. And so they share that same sequence, all of the, the von Willebrands, the fibrinogen, the uh, fibronectin, vitronectin, they all share it. So they can all bind to the 2B3A, but it's really fibrinogen is the major 
Right, right. You still get you're going to have severely decreased functionality in the absence, and for lots of reasons too. Right. I mean, obviously, uh, well, fibrinogen's important in other ways. Um, we'll get so, yeah. there too. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So um, so two B three A needs to be kind of turned on, right? This needs to be, and that makes sense to me because I feel like if you had two B three A just circulating, like you know, you're going to thromb thrombus, and uh, yeah, it'll be bad for business. Well, I, I imagine fibrinogen is not going to regulate itself the way that right. Ron Willie does. Right. So there has to be a regulator somewhere, and that's the 2B3A receptor itself. Yep. Cool. So um, uh, where do we go from here now? Is, is it... Uh... Yeah. We've got other receptors. Right. So most of the rest of the receptors are what we call the seven membrane or the seven transmembrane repeats because they have a particular structure where they traverse the membrane seven times. So they have those hydrophobic portions of the receptor. And then you have your other portions. So you have anchoring domains and then you have, of course, pieces sticking outside and pieces sticking internally, which is key because you have your receptors that can bind outside or cleave depending on which uh, agonist or which substance the ligand that binds to it mm. depending on the ligand some cleave them and some just bind onto them mm. but mm. on the inside inside of our platelet what's happening when you bind on the outside is that you're activating what we call our g protein pathways mm -hmm. this gets confusing this is where we get into weeds right so yeah. <clears throat> almost all of our seven uh traversing receptors that we're discussing almost all of them have g proteins on the other side mm -hmm. on the inside of the cell which g protein that'll vary and that gets way too in the weeds right I, i've taken advanced cellular biology and we don't even go that far into the weeds of each g protein pathway mm -hmm. but we call them g protein pathways because essentially Remember we talked about heterodimers for the integrin family and I said they're two dissimilar proteins. We have heterotrimers. So now we have three dissimilar proteins and we usually just designate them alpha, beta, gamma. Mm. And so what happens is you have these heterotrimers sitting on the inside of that seven uh, transmembrane receptor and your three proteins are sitting there together, all bound with a GDP, right? So that's your uh, your guanosine diphosphate molecule. That's why we call it a G protein because of the guanosine. And then <clears throat> when you bind to the external portion of that receptor, you're basically going to send a signal in and now you're gonna have a GTP. So a triphosphate. And mm -hmm. what happens is you're able to basically hydrolyze the GTP molecule, which allows you to have that kind of free phosphate, that radical phosphate molecule, and that phosphorylation, like that, that process, that hydrolyzation of removing that phosphate group gives the heterotrimer energy. And so what happens is the beta gamma portion separates from the alpha portion, and they go off and they activate downstream signals, and then they come back and they reassociate with GDP and the inside of that receptor. Okay. So I'm a little bit dead inside listening to that. So, <laughs> right. It's terrible. But the, that's really in the weeds. Yeah. That is really in the weeds. So I think the, the important thing to know is that these receptors, the transmembrane receptors that traverse the membrane seven times, they are G protein activators they activate these g proteins that are going to go and activate normal physiological downstream systems right and this is, and we see this in other cells right this this is like oh, yeah. a, this is nature has taken cut and pasted this in a lot of different uh systems yeah. so yeah so i think as long as you know that it's g proteins mm -hmm. there you go yeah. i don't know that anyone is ever going to want you to go into the weeds further than that if they do bless them yeah, right. Seriously. <laughs> That's a lot. You know, so th these were uh, receptors that we're talking about then are like the, the thrombin receptors. Yep. Um, and thrombin is actually one that cleaves. 
its receptor. So once it cleaves a receptor, it's not going to reuse that receptor again. And, th and thrombin, it, the, I mean, thrombin is a cleaver, right? Yeah, like, that's what that's, it is. That's, yeah, so that, that makes sense. That, that makes um, sense. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so thrombin, um, other receptors. So I'm kind of like digging back into my platelet ag uh, stuff I've done. Um, the other one that comes to mind, ADP. Stop me if I'm like going ahead of the... So that's, those are agonists you're talking right. about, right? So the agonist thrombin has two receptors that it can bind to. Yeah. And then ADP also has two major receptors that it binds to. And I think we'll actually mention them, P2Y1 mm -hmm. and P2Y12. And the reason we mentioned P2Y12 is because there's an antiplatelet agent directed specifically against P2Y12 that we'll eventually get to. Mm -hmm. Yep, cool. Um, mm -hmm. and then, uh, epinephrine, mm -hmm. epinephrine. So it's an, uh, adrenergic receptor. <laughs> yeah. It's good. That one. Yeah. I can't <laughs> words. Right. Um, and then, um, quickly. So, uh, is it too, too early to talk about thromboxane and, uh, no, um, we'll be getting there shortly. Okay. All right. So, and then we have a receptor for thromboxane, or we have two different receptors for thromboxane and um, our uh, prostacyclin. Yep. Uh, and, and those are really cool molecules, mm -hmm. uh, very similar molecules yep. that have these uh, th these kind of opposing um, roles in the platelet, right? So one's going to help uh, regulate and one's going to help well both both regulate I guess so one promotes and one suppresses yeah one will promote aggregation and one will suppress it yep um cool so that's a lot of different receptors so um I'm deferring to you very very much here right so how do we how do we proceed what how do we talk about what the g proteins do inside the platelets is that the next part of the story or so you, you mean... Sorry, I needed to <laughs> cough and then I never, never unmuted myself. Um, yeah, so we can. So like I said, the different G proteins are going to do different things. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll talk about one of the major things that they can do. And everybody's heard of this, right? The acosinoid synthesis pathway. So essentially your G proteins are going to activate phospholipase A2. And that is going to basically take uh, phosphatidylinositol, which is one of your membrane proteins, and it's going to make that into arachidonic acid. Now, the other name for one of the major arachidonic acids is basically the icosoacetate. Uh, nope, I said the word completely wrong. It's like ico, I can't even say it. Never mind. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> I can say it. I just can't say it right now because I'm trying to. Acosinoid. So it's Acoso something something. So it's got the word Acoso in it basically is what I was trying to say. And that's why we call it the Acosinoid synthesis pathway is because you make arachidonic acid. Mm -hmm. And that's an Acosinoid molecule. There we go. We're just going to call it an Acosinoid molecule. <laughs> I say the word right now. <laughs> yes. So we get arachidonic acid and People have probably heard of arachidonic acid. Right. Because this is an important, the next step. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, I mean, everyone's going to have different levels of, of familiarity with uh, things like as aspirin, right? And, mm -hmm. um, and uh, so uh, arachidonic acid will then be um, uh, functionally altered by COX, right? So this is the cyclooxygenase. Yes. I think, yeah. Um, and so that eventually leads mm -hmm. to depending on where we are right so is this the uh platelet doing it or is this the endothelium yep. doing this right so um if our platelet's doing it this is going to lead to our thromboxane yep. correct yeah and thromboxane uh well, we'll go yeah anyway and if it's in the um if it's in the endothelial cell we get our prostacyclin right um so uh, so aspirin's, this is maybe a detour, but aspirin's method of action is to suppress that enzyme. And, um, and so like oxygenase enzyme. Yep. Yep. So inhibit COX, right. And then uh, stop the production of thromboxane, 
which then decreases uh, platelets functionality and ability to activate. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, so then when our platelet makes thromboxane, yep. this is fun too, right? It's going to excrete that. And then that can then interact with other surrounding platelets. Right. Mm -hmm. And so thromboxane is going to bind to its uh, thromboxane receptors and then cause um, so this is how platelets recruit other platelets, right? Is that a, a fair way to say it? Yep. Um, so a really, really important pathway there. Yeah. And it really all comes down to activating your platelet, comes down to mobilizing calcium from the dense tubular system. Yeah. And so in the end, thromboxane is going to mobilize the calcium from the dense tubular system, which activates the platelet. And prostacycline is not. It's going to right. stop the calcium from exiting the dense tubular system. Yep. Really, so that's, there's that's this better. like tug of yeah. war, right? Yep. So that's a, a, a the most beautiful part of uh, of uh, biology is when you see these systems, and um, you know, I the, I imagine the platelet as like these the devil and the angel on the shoulder, and they're both telling different stories, right? And you know, if you have more of the one, then you're going to do, uh, do that, do that thing. Um, really. And then you've got thromboxane in a little devil's outfit. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> press cycling in this little angel outfit. Yes. <laughs> Both telling the playlist, you should activate. No, don't do it. Right. And then whoever's louder ends up winning that, uh, winning that war. Um, sorry, my dog's scratching at the door. <laughs> All right, so um, where do we where do we go from here now, right? So um, we've covered a lot of the receptors. Yep. We've covered the major receptors that we need to discuss. There is a, other receptors, but again, weeds, right? We don't need to go into the weeds. Right, right. You can stay out. <clears throat> but all of the receptors are going to activate these downstream system pathways that eventually lead to calcium either being dumped from the dense tubular system or not. You, you'll see them, like if you look at diagrams in textbooks, you might see like the inositol triphosphate pathway and like how that activates and more specific information about like the phospholipases. Weeds, again, I think that's too, too far. So we're not going to go that far into it. <clears throat> I think what the next, <laughs> Dave's happy if you guys can't see him, if you're listening on the podcast. <laughs> Dave started sweating when I started talking about that a little bit. He thought I was going to go in. I do. When Melissa talks about coag, I just start to perspire. <laughs> I think the, the next place we go is actually talking about what happens when you injure a vein, a venule, something. Yeah. So uh, when you disrupt the endothelial membrane, right? Uh, uh, or the endothelial. So we talked about endothelial cells and we talked about how they're organized. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so when there is some kind of injury there and that's disrupted, collagen isn't exposed, right? That's kind of like the first thing that, that pops into my head. Um, so then collagen exposure, this is where we get our glycoprotein six, right? On our platelet interacting or possibly von Willebrand factor. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's kind of, I guess what I have like in my head, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that's adherence, right? Yep. Is platelet to collagen binding, whether it's direct platelet to collagen binding or platelet mediated by von Willebrand's factor. Either way, the platelet to collagen binding is considered adherence. Okay. And so then, I have a platelet and he's stuck to the collagen. Yeah. Game over, right? All done? Job's We're done? done. I'm all oh. set now. Yep. <laughs> no, that's not the end of the story. <laughs> So what's the what's the next uh, step? Adherence is important, but then what comes, what follows? Yeah, then we have aggregation. Mm -hmm. right? And so that's platelet to platelet binding, which really is platelet to fibrinogen to platelet binding. Right, right, right. But we call it platelet to platelet binding for- And that's our 2B3A and that, that interaction, yeah. <clears throat> cool. Um, so then uh, aggregation, right? And uh, is, are, are we at the end of the platelet story, sort of, at least for this level or? Yeah, I think, I think we should back up a hair though and just talk about when we activate a platelet, right? When you send a signal in to activate the platelet, we talked about activating 2B3A as one of the things. 
but when when you activate a platelet other things happen right so you first of all you're going to cause shape change so usually i'm this nice discoidy shape for a platelet resting platelet and then once i'm activated i start having little pseudopods come out and the rest of the cytoplasm kind of retracts so you get these definitely large pseudopods and the point of the pseudopods is really to increase surface area and the contraction of the cytoplasm helps with that. It also helps to shorten the surface connected canicular system so that you can dump your alpha granule contents out faster. The dense granules don't care. They just go over to the side of the cytoplasm and, and throw their stuff right out into the, into the world. So they don't use the surface connected canicular system, but you shorten the SCCS by having that shape change. So shape, shape change is one of the big things that happens of course, activation of TB3A is really important. The other really big thing that's important is basically taking your polar phospholipids and flipping them to being available on the outside of the platelet surface. I can't believe I forgot to even talk about that. Like that's absolutely critical component to secondary hemostasis, right? Without that, we get no, um, no secondary hemostasis. Uh, so I'm glad you touched that. Um, cool. Yeah. So I, I think those were the, those were the big things about activating a platelet, and that's whether you're activating for adherence or aggregation. It doesn't matter when you activate a, a platelet. Those are the things that happen. Yeah. So like, uh, is it synonymous? Uh, is it fair to say that it's synonymous when you say like shape change and like um, uh, secretion, like those things kind of like go hand in hand, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's the other thing that I forgot to mention was granule secretion. Well, actually, I, I did mention that. because yeah, 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 we touched it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the SECS and, uh, and that whole that whole game. Um, cool. So, um, geez, I think we kind of did it on the platelet side of things. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think that's everything that we wanted to cover. So I hope uh, the audience kind of appreciates platelets as much as I appreciate platelets. Um, I literally was a working hematologist for a while and my real passion for it developed later on uh, through study. And uh, I never appreciated those little blue and purple dots uh, <laughs> that, that I saw every day in the, on the scope. But um, cool. Um, I think it's a good place for us to end. And we'll pick it back up at the uh, the next stage in the story of uh, of coagulation. So uh, thank you to the audience. Uh, thanks for hanging around and listening to us. Uh, please reach out to us. Uh, send us messages via email. We love to hear from you guys. Check us out on social media. Subscribe anywhere you see a subscribe button and differential discussions. Just click that. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Thanks for your time. <laughs>